It is uh, November 29th, 2017. Our message this evening is called Addicted to Love. Those of you that have known me for a long time know that I would prefer to preach about warfare. I enjoy being in the thick of a battle. But in the last week or so, all I can think about is the overwhelming love of our God. Now, if you happen to be in your early 40s in here tonight, that when I say addicted to love, you probably flash back to your preteen years, to the dawn of music television. And an image something like this one probably comes to your mind. It's Robert, Robert Palmer's album. If you didn't remember that, then this iconic scene is probably what you would remember. The year that Robert Palmer released Addicted to Love was 1986. It was one of the most iconic videos of the era, but ironically, it was one of the more modest of the time when compared to its counterparts. Well-clothed models with blank expressions meant to look like mannequins were featured with their most notable attributes being eerily pale skin and an intriguing bright red lipstick. Somehow or another, it left a mark on a generation, though. As a musician, Palmer hired someone to help these poor girls, these modest models, begin the basics of guitar lessons. He wanted them to be able to at least make chords so that they would seem to be playing in the video. The musician deemed it an impossible task after an hour and stormed out of the studio. It's been noted that their choreography is clearly out of sync with each other throughout the song, and yet people found the song simply irresistible. <laughs> One of the last 45 LPs to have ever been released, and it sold a million certified copies in a venue that is now extinct because the video killed the record store. It's one of the most defining songs of this artist's early career, and it may have encapsulated the excessive desires of the decadent late 80s and 90s. For reasons that are probably self-evident, I can only read a small portion of these lyrics, but I want you to hear them. Whoa, you like to think that you're immune to the stuff. Oh, yeah. It's closer to the truth to say that you can't get enough. You know you're going to have to face it. You're addicted to love. As Huey Lewis in the news said, love is a curious thing. But the love that the world is addicted to is an unfulfilling imposter. A kind of tainted love that leaves everyone involved injured. For them, love is a battlefield. A battlefield of the injured, not a battlefield full of the redeemed. The word love, or a form of the word love, appears in nearly 500 verses in the Tanakh alone, with roughly half being represented by the word Ahab. Say that with me, Ahab. I want to show you how the word Ahab is put together. For some of you it's review, but it's worth reviewing. The first letter in the Hebrew alphabet, the first letter that a young child would learn to make in Hebrew in Moses' day is the Alf. Now, this proves unequivocally that Moses was a Texas Longhorns fan. You can see that. 
Alf, because it looked a little bit like an oxen, carried with it an image, an idea. It carried with it, or was pregnant within it, the idea of a leader, first or strength. The first letter, the Alf, taught people what strength would look like. It was something like that oxen out there that cannot be detoured. Now, when you move to the second letter in the Hebrew alphabet, it's a bet. The bet looked something like the house, and so it began to represent your family or the house that your family lived in. You can see this in words like Bethlehem, which means house of bread, or Bethel, which means house of God, so that that term carries through not only from the letter, but it transitions into the entire word. Well, it makes perfect sense then that the word for father is ab. It is a combination of two letters. The alf, which is a strong leader, and the bet, which is your family or your home. This would mean that with only two letters in the Hebrew alphabet, you would have learned what a father is, what a father is supposed to be. A father is the strong leader of your house the strong leader of your family. In Hebrew, each letter also has a numerical equivalent. The alf being the first letter means that it is represented by one. What do you think the bet represents? What do you think the bet represents? So a father is one person, but somehow or another he has the value of three. A one and a two. Yes, now, thank you. You've learned everything you need to know. Three. This is just the very beginning scratching the surface of the mystical roots of the Hebrew language. I'm not going to bore you with it tonight, but as we dig into this subject and we come to the word Ahab, which is our next slide, you'll notice that it is comprised of taking the alf in the bed and sticking something right in the middle of it. That hay, which looks like a, a field goal, again proving Moses was a Texas Longhorn. It's supposed to resemble a man with his hands lifted up to heaven. Something like an open window. Because even from ancient times, when men wanted to receive from God, they raised their hands to Him. They worshipped Him. It's a very modern and very wrong thought that we bow our face towards the earth, curl into a bomb shelter position, and expect heaven to lead an assault upon our shoulders. When you put the hay inside of the father, when you put the thing that represents spirit inside of a father, you have a strong, spirit-filled leader of a home, and this is how a child would learn in three letters what love looks like. When Gabby was just a little girl, the first thing that she would learn is that her father led the home. The next thing that she would learn is that above all else, her father loved her. This is how the Hebrew household worked. And if your father didn't love you, then you would have a misunderstanding of what God was like for the rest of your life. Are you beginning to understand why Satan has assaulted our families the way that he has? But if you had a loving father, the most basic assumption then was that love is what your father has for you. A father should not have an unhealthy interest in a daughter. That would just be weird. 
A father should not have an abusive interest towards his children. A father first and foremost protects and provides for his children. And this is the primary way that he displays love to his children. All Hebrew children would learn this by the time they were the age five. This goes a long ways to explaining what the Catholics call the Our Father. And of course was known well before that as Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. It begins when Jesus taught them how to pray, Our Father. No Hebrew could say the word Father without associating it with the word love. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Why is his name revered? Because he symbolizes from the very beginning the very first way that you would ever understand love, leadership, or the formation of a family. Now, this becomes very important because of all of the things that are preached about and of all the things that are talked about, the primary and most important thing from which they all flow is the revelation of God's love to His children. That is, in essence, the gospel. Pick up with me in Genesis 22. We're going to look at the very first word or first appearance of the word Ahab in your Bible. Somebody say it's the first. first. Now everybody say it's the first. first. In Genesis 22, beginning in verse 2, it says, Then God said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you Ahab, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah, Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. This verse is so contraindicative that whoever is reading it is stopped in their tracks. They can't help but have to confront its reality. Clearly from the first mention of biblical love, we can see the character of God as being hinted at. In a way that profoundly engages the senses of any parent or any child, particularly to say everyone. If it engaged, how many of you are parents in this room? How many of you are somebody's child in this room? If you're neither of those things, then we need to call the X-Files, right? The verse is telling us that above all else, love, it involves sacrifice. From the very first mention of the word, it involves sacrifice. Love involves the yielding of what you value to God. To say that you love him and not put what you value in his hands is the opposite of love. What Abram was being asked to do, Abraham was being asked to do, is yield something that was precious to him to God. Burnt offerings, they don't forecast a return on investment. I mean, you take something valuable, you light it on fire, and what are you left with? So much for the prosperity gospel. It's ashes. They're symbolic of yielding your own desires to the Lord, whether you get anything back or not. That's an incredible uh, display of love. When you do something for someone else without any desire or any expectation of return. I was teaching a men's meeting many years ago, and the names will have to stay out of it because a few are still in the church. And we were talking about the right way to love your wife. And I was talking about in the morning, the kind things that you would say, the scriptures that you would share, how throughout the day, 
thoughtful expressions of love, maybe even assistance in daily tasks. I said, and what happens when you get to the end of the evening and you go to sleep in separate rooms? One of the young men said, it was all wasted. <laughs> I said, and herein lies the problem. You don't really understand what love is. Of course, the most beautiful part of this story you're familiar with is that God would not allow Abraham's son to be killed. His great love for us demanded a better way. Let me say that again. God's love for us demanded a better way than our sacrifice. He would be the one that demonstrated sacrifice. The ultimate sacrifice would come from the ultimate example of love, who is God himself. The singer-songwriter from the first century who composed love songs like the one contained within the Newer Testament in Romans 11, his name is Rabbi Shaul Paulus of Tarsus, said this about God's love. This is Romans 11:33. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments or decisions and his path beyond tracing out who has known the mind of the lord or who has been his counselor who has ever given to god that god should repay him see god stopped abraham from sacrificing his son love goes first love stretched down and provided a better way so paul closes his song with for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever. Amen. The truth is that Paul often broke into songs when contemplating the divine. You can read his songs and his poetry in 1 Timothy 3.16, 2 Timothy 2.11-13. You can find it in Ephesians 3.20-21. You can find the entire second chapter of Philippians to be a beautiful song or poem if you like. If you'd like to see... Songs written about God in the Newer Testament. You can find it in the law of the Newer Testament in Luke 2, 13. The angels and the shepherds broke into song together. They filled the entire book of Revelation starting in the fifth chapter with lyrics that are better than what Robert Palmer had to write. The overriding theme of all of them is found in the writings that many may know as a contemporary of Apostle Paul. And his name was the Apostle of Love, Rabbi Yohanan. He simply summarized our response to God's love in 1 John 4, verse 19. This is worth contemplating. It's a short verse, but it has extraordinary implications. We love because. We love because. In other words, we need a reason to love. Let me ask you, what reason did God ever have to love you? We love because. He didn't need a reason. It's what He is. It's who He is. He's the very definition of love. We love because He first loved us. The Tanakh and the Brit Hadashah, the Older and the Newer Testament, make the astounding claim that Yahweh is the source of love. He is teaching anyone who is willing how to reciprocate. When you get a revelation of His love, 
it causes you to love. That's an incredible thing. Someone says they don't love the Lord. They don't believe in the Lord. They're an atheist. They're an agnostic. They're, they simply haven't had a revelation of His love. They don't have a because. He is the Father. He is the house. And He is the Spirit. He's all of the components of love. He's everything that love is. With that in mind, look at Deuteronomy 6 in verse 4. You there? Okay, the front right row is. Patricia, you're the furthest from me, but the closest to God, so I'm going to talk to you. Tell me when you're in Deuteronomy 6. Amen. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Shema Ya Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Ichad. Ichad means one. That's why it's translated one. But it doesn't just mean numerically one. It means that he is not conflicted about anything. He's not of two opinions about anything. He is the lone sovereign in the universe, but he is also complete, whole, no divisions within him. Verse 5, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Our God is Ehad. Because he's not double-minded about anything, he doesn't have two opinions about how he feels about you. On Monday, he doesn't love you, and on Tuesday, despise you. He is one. He loves you. Why do we love Him with all of our heart, soul, and strength? Well, simply put, because He loves us with all of His heart, soul, and strength. Why do you love Him? Because He loves you. How are you told to love Him? With all of your heart, soul, and strength. So that is how you know that He loves you. A long time before 1966, righteous brothers everywhere found that he was their soul and their highest inspiration. This is expressed in the love of the Father, the love of the Spirit, and the love of the Son. The Bible is the loving revelation of God towards mankind. That's not all it is. It's also the wrath of God revealed against mankind. They go hand in hand, and we'll explain that as we go. But a long time before Jefferson wrote our Constitution, or you could get on an airplane as an estranged lover and come back to the arms of someone you cared about, the Hebrew prophets knew something. They knew that you would want somebody to love you. They knew that you would need somebody to love you. They knew that you better find somebody to love you. And like the psychedelic rock bands of the 1960s, they wrote extensively about God's love. Look at Isaiah chapter 56 in verse 6. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to serve Him, to Ahab, the name of the Lord, to love the name of the Lord, with the strength of the leader of a home, filled with the Spirit of God, to love the name of the Lord and to worship Him. And all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and all who hold fast to my covenant. 
These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house. See, it was clear that Yahweh's intention from the beginning was to show his, uh, his Ahab, his love to the nation of Israel. It was his hope that the nations around Israel would recognize their need for somebody to love them. Finding a perfect example in him of what love looked like would cause them to want to imitate it. Isn't that how you came to know him? If you didn't come to know him through his love, let me suggest, you don't know him. The psalmist indicates the kind of interaction that the first person who ever would love him would have. Turn with me to Psalm 116. Then you will have gone from the law to the prophets to the writings with the word Ahab. You have seen it in the heart of God, the mind of the prophets, and carried out by the feet of the faithful. Psalm 116. If you can't find Psalms, it's easy thing. You find the middle of the book and open it, and you will be in the Psalms. Psalm 116 in verse 1. I, somebody say I. I. Love the Lord. That in itself is beautiful for a man to write. He loves someone he can't see. He loves someone for a specific reason though. We love because. The Lord didn't need a because. I love the Lord for or because he heard my voice. See, when you cry out to him and he responds to you, it begins a relationship. His actions towards you have been expressing love. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he has turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. Why do you call on him as long as you live? Because he turned his ear towards you. You feel special when the monarch, the sovereign of the universe, the master of all men, heard you. Now, if you're sitting in this room tonight and you walked in with the molly grubs and you plan on walking out the same way, I'm going to contest your position. And I'm doing that because if you love the Lord and you call on Him, He turns towards you. But never does the Word say that He is turning towards you because you're a sourpuss. When you love Him, it moves Him to your attention. And you cannot love Him unless you've gotten a revelation of His love towards you. Are you beginning to understand why the devil worked so hard to wound you early in life? Why the relationships with the males that you knew were always contentious and never good? The reason that the devil worked so hard to destroy your life early on was because if he could pervert the way that you viewed the leader of a house, the leader of a team, the leader of a school, the leader of a business, he could pervert the way that you view God. But when you get a revelation of what God is really like, all of the sudden, it demands a response inside of you. Verse 3. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came upon me. I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. It is amazing the way in which trouble that God did not cause, evil that He is not the author of, can still be used by Him to get your attention. That does not add purpose to the evil. That does not make it less evil. It doesn't even lessen your injury. 
It just means that he can make something good come out of bad. We're not saying that God put you in bad situations. What we're saying is that you were in a bad situation because we're in the middle of a cosmic war. But a loving God is trying to reach you in the middle of that battlefield. And when you realize that he is reaching you, you want to reach back. Verse 4. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Somebody say the name of the Lord. Lord. Now saints, if you were writing in a thousand BC, you would say I called on the name of the Lord. But you are benefited by many centuries since then, some 3,000 years. What is the name of the Lord? See, this is a beautiful thing. The name of the Lord is clearly Yahweh. And the only way that you can contact Him is in the man, Jesus Christ. The clearest expression of God's love ever given was the Son that He provided instead of you giving your Son. What an action of love. Can you imagine if we were standing at the firing line and somebody said, No, bring your son back. I will put my son forward. You would love them as long as you were alive. The Lord has reached us on the battlefield with the biggest display of love that the universe has ever known. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the simple hearted. When I was in great need, somebody say great need. need. He saved me. Now, he would have saved you when you weren't in great need. But the thing is, you didn't know you needed to be saved until you were in great need. How many of you got saved at the height of your life? You usually get saved at the depth of your life. Now, God hasn't but something about those circumstances changed you. It showed you that you needed somebody to love you, just like Jefferson Airplane wrote. Our great need makes a way for His great love. His great love compels us to greatly love Him. Earlier I said Ahab represented about half of the Tanakh uses of love. The other half are represented by a different word. That word is chesed. Kind of like he said, she said. Chesed. Chesed is Strong's number 2617. You can see on the screen that it is a masculine noun. Why do you think it's a masculine one? Love was supposed to be represented as a male trait that women imitated, not a female trait that men imitated. Now ponder that for a minute during our days of skinny jeans and emotional males. Love is masculine. Love is exemplified by a strong leader in a home filled with the Holy Ghost. Love is supposed to be demonstrated first and foremost by a father. How would a mother learn to love? By watching a father. How would the children learn to love by watching their parents? You could call this the gravity of love. See, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of heavenly lights. Love rolls downhill. It has to be taught. It has to be instructed to go back uphill. When you realize how loved you are, you want to respond. If you don't really 
want the Lord tonight, then you don't understand how loved you are. Something has obscured your vision. You've gotten sand in your eyes. The merciful, steadfast goodness of God is an important facet of God's love to understand. The mercy of God and the justice of God can seem like an extremely odd pairing. As odd as a deaf leopard. Not understanding divine love as opposed to fleeting human affection could make you think that love bites. But when you encounter the chesed of God, the picture begins to solidify. A more mature image of the divine love of God comes to mind. You can find that in Exodus 15 and verse 13. We there, Patricia? Amen. You tell me when you're there, honey. Exodus 15, 13. We're there in the back of the room. Are we there in the front of the room? In your unfailing love. Unfailing love is not a love that bites. Failing love bites. Pretty sure the mutants over there at table number six understand love bites. Think on this for a minute. Why do we say that love stings? Why do they write songs about love being a battlefield? Because that was love that was lost. You know a love that doesn't bite? One that feels fantastic? One that is steadfast and endures forever? One that is not fleeting? One that is not waiting for you to cook the wrong meal? One that is not waiting for you to gain an extra 10 pounds so they can leave? See, the love of God is described as chesed. In Exodus 15, 13, he says, In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. His love does not fail. He didn't fail to redeem us, and he will not fail to love us all the way through the process. That's a very interesting concept given the flaws that these people had. It's a very interesting process given the flaws that these people have. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. If his love will not fail, do you think he will fail to lead you to his holy dwelling? You may doubt your ability to follow. I don't doubt our God's ability to manipulate the circumstances to help you follow. Because he loves you. If you fail your friend, they may not love you anymore. That kind of love certainly bites. But God's love for you is chesed. It's unfailing. He redeemed the people and he continues to love them despite their many flaws. The prophet Jeremiah wrote about this. Turn to Jeremiah 31. We will have gone from the law to the prophets and I imagine you know we will arrive next at the writings. Jeremiah 31 in verse 3. The Lord appeared to us in the past, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. Does anybody see their footnote there? It may not be so much that God appeared to you in the past as much as the correct reading being He called from afar. He called just to say, I love you. 
Despite all of the realities of hell and the seriousness of judgment, our God draws us with chesed, His loving, steadfast kindness. He said, I loved you with an everlasting love, a love that just won't quit. How did He draw you? He said, I have drawn you with loving kindness. He sustains you by His chesed, and He drew you by His chesed. The Ketuvim is going to help us understand the truth about a loving Lord that you also fear. Both are essential for our living. Let's look at Proverbs 16. When you get to Proverbs 16, slide your finger down and discover the sixth verse. Like Columbus, land on your discovery and claim it, even if others were there first. In Proverbs 16, 6, through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. What atones for your sin? Does the New Testament not say love covers a multitude of sins? Well, the Older Testament surprisingly says the same thing. Love and faithfulness is how sin is atoned for. What is the role of the fear of the Lord then? Through the fear of the Lord, a man avoids evil. Because you are fearful of the results of sin and disappointing your loving father, you avoid sin. Because you are loved, you know that you are atoned for. You know where you should first learn that? In your home with a father. If you are a father, I pray that you take that role seriously. You will be teaching your children about the heavenly father. Now, I've been saying these things about chesed, and a hub for a reason. The Newer Testament has approximately 300 verses that refer to these concepts. With as many as seven ways, count them, seven ways to describe love. And nearly all of them are translations of the same Hebrew thought behind a hub and chesed that we've been discussing. The Greeks needed seven ways to say something that the Hebrews said with only two words. Earlier, I mentioned tainted love which was clearly a reference to both the band Soft Cell and the version of love that was practiced by the world that is best viewed as a cheap trick. <laughs> the Hebrew concept of love is directly opposed to the world's view. And it answers the age-old question asked by foreigners everywhere. I want to know what love is. If only foreigners had learned the Hebrew song composed by the most prolific songwriter, the most prolific singer, the best warrior, the most prolific lover and king of the 10th century BC. They never would have had to ask a question that was already answered in such a satisfying manner. Turn with me to the defining song of all time, literally the best song in this world or the world to come, the only song that can be proven to be eternal, lasting for as long as God is alive. The 136th Psalm. Say there when you were there. Now, if 80s music is not your thing, I'm really sorry. 60s was more my thing, but I fell in love with this beautiful blonde that is watching your children tonight. And suffice it to say that occasionally I have indulged her interest while riding in the car. 
Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Amen. I want to show you a slide of what that says in Hebrew. I know these words are small. Starting at the right and moving to the left, because that's the way that Hebrew moves, I want you to notice, do you see the, the number 30, 34, and then 30, 68, and then 35, 88? You all see those? Yes. What comes next? Lots of nines, right? That word is not in the text. You're going to see that as you keep moving to the left, 28, 96, 35, 88, then you get another bunch of nines, right? That word is also not in the text. That's because the Hebrew is infinitely more simple than the English. In Hebrew, this literally says something like, Thanks, Lord, for good. Chesed, forever. That's incredible. When you remove all of the window dressing away, do you know what you're thanking the Lord for? He's been good to you. And that loving kindness lasts forever. In fact, the word olam there, which is Strong's 5769, we translate it forever, we translate it eternity. That's really not quite accurate. It is those things, but it really is the ha-olam, the world to come. Understand what he's saying then. We give thanks to Yahweh because he's not just good right now. He's good in this world and the next. He's good from age to age. He's good in a way that never changes. You never need worry that you wake up and he fell out of love. Come on now. If you're in here tonight and your heart's been torn to pieces because somebody fell out of love with you, know that God never did that and never will. If you're in here tonight and you've had the stinging pain of love biting you, because you gave your all to someone who did not reciprocate, understand the Lord went first. He loved you a long time before you... He loved you without a because. You love Him because of a because. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His chesed olam. Why is God good? Because His chesed, His steadfast love, goes from this world through the next. Somebody's got to call Stevie Wonder and explain that our king is not a part-time lover. He loves through this life and he loves into the next. There is nothing that could cause him to not love his creation. And yet he hates the wicked. It's an interesting paradox, isn't it? A God who loves without end also hates what is wicked. Do you know why? Because he hates evil, but he loves his creation. And his plan is that evil will not be a part of his creation. And you get to choose whether you'll be transformed by his love or you'll participate in that which he hates. Look at verse 2. Give thanks to the God of gods. That's something. It's okay, Rob. You can do it, man. Give thanks to the God of gods. The God of what? Gods. There are other spiritual powers. And one of the ways that you can distinguish the most high spiritual power from all of the others 
is that this God that we're speaking about, His love endures from this world right into the next. He never changes. He is one. He's God. He doesn't have two opinions. He doesn't love you if you kill your son. He doesn't love you if you give enough money to the televangelist. He doesn't love you if you kneel on rocks or do some other absurd thing that the twisted Roman pontiff asked you to do. He loves you from this world to the next. And you know what? That separates him from every other spiritual power. Somebody say every other. Every other. other. Even the ones that work for him. He is the only one that defines in his very character the center of who he is is the definition of love. All of the others are simply reflecting him. Oh, that's incredible when you fall in love with a God like that. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. To be clear, what we're saying here is that among the pantheon... He is supreme. And He is supreme because chesed olam. The kind of love that He loves you with never ends. Somebody say never. Never. It never ends. Many men have promised that. Barry White had a whole album about it. But it wasn't true. He's dead and gone. You know who's not? The King of Kings. To Him who alone does great wonders, his love endures forever, who by his understanding made the heavens, his love endures forever, who spread out the earth upon the waters, his love endures forever, who made the great lights, his love endures forever, the sun to govern the day, his love endures forever, the moon and stars to govern the night, His love endures forever. See, He created this world because chesed olam. He didn't create the world in response to a problem. He didn't create you alone in response to a problem. Everything that He created, He created because He loves now and forever. That's an incredible statement, don't you think? To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, chesed olam. And brought Israel out from among them, chesed olam. With a mighty hand and outstretched arm, chesed olam. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder, chesed olam. Who brought Israel through the midst of it, chesed olam. But swept Pharaoh and his army into the sea, chesed olam. See, he went to war and he redeemed because he's the kind of God who loves now and forever. How many movies, how many books have been written about the knight who comes to fight for the honor of the girl that he loves? They're simply imitating an attribute of God. He loved you enough, hear this, to kill for you. Let that sink in for a minute. You love your boys because they've got your back? Really? Not like God. God took on an entire nation and their gods. Egypt, uh, I mean, Exodus 12.12 says, 
He judged the gods of Egypt. He took on Egypt and the spiritual powers that were uh, pulling the strings in Egypt. Do you know why? Because he loves now and he loves forever. Chesed Olam. To him who led his people through the desert, his love endures forever. See, when you consider the contrast of those two things, he loved you enough to go to war for you and redeem you, but he also loved you enough to lead you through the desert. Consider what the difference is between those two things. Were they in trouble in Egypt? Yes. Were they slaves in Egypt? Yes. Were they idolaters in Egypt? Yes. And he saved them out of that. We're all familiar with the saving love of God. The problem comes when we've been saved. Now that we've been saved and we mess up, we think He no longer loves us. But He is the same God who led them through all of the screw-ups in the desert and His love does not change. He loves now and through the world to come. He struck down great kings. He killed mighty kings. In verse 21, he gave their land as an inheritance. In 22, an inheritance to his servant, servant Israel. See, he killed kings and rewarded his servants because of chesed olam. What would you do for love? We know how far God's willing to go. To the one who remembered us in our lowest state, his love endures forever. And has freed us from our enemies. His love endures forever. When does He remember you? In your lowest state. Do you know why? Because despite all of your trifling with God, He has pity on you. He cares for you. In your worst moments, He reaches the furthest to lift you up. He's not a fickle God. He doesn't turn away from you simply because you got it wrong. You've been getting it wrong since before you knew about the because. He remembered and freed his people because of chesed olam. And he gives food to every creature. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven. His love endures forever. He is in heaven, but he provides on earth through chesed olam. I want to show you that Psalm 136 summarized in seven ways. God is superior to other deities. Why? Because His love never fails. You know what we're finding out right now during all of the sex scandals? During all of these things? Is that men only love you if. That's what you find out. You find out that the women who they victimized only love them to get something from them. See, we live in a time right now where we're seeing big names in media fall and it's very uncouth to draw attention to the evil on both sides. But let's be honest. If you slept with somebody to get a role in a movie, yes, they abused you. That's true. And you showed up for that abuse because you wanted something that they had. See, that's how the world loves. And they're addicted to that. Using and being used. Which was... Another song, but we can't share those lyrics here. God is superior to other deities because His love never fails. It is not conditioned upon your perfection. 
It's conditioned only upon your reciprocation and He goes first. God's creation is an act of His unending love. When you look around you and you see a monarch butterfly, you go, what on earth is the purpose for this? This is God loving His creation. When you look and see a duck-billed platypus, this is God loving His creation. When you see a dog, it's God loving His creation. When you see a cat, it is the work of the enemy. God went to war to redeem you. That is Him displaying His love. He took on other spiritual powers for you. God's leading in the desert is expressing His steadfast, unending chesed. God striking down kings and giving you an inheritance that somebody else worked for is His unending love for you. God delivering you from your low estate is His chesed. He is the God of heaven, but His chesed is displayed all over the earth. This is why when the heavenly creatures that Isaiah saw were singing, they were singing, holy, 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 the whole earth is full of His glory. His glory is displayed in His chesed. Now, come on, my righteous brothers. God never loses that loving feeling. Like UB40 or Elvis Presley. I can't help but falling in love with you, Lord. Whitney may have lied, but I'll always love you, Lord. Ray was blind in more ways than one. But his eyes were at least open when he wrote the words, I can't stop loving you. My sincere hope as we turn, what are we going to do? Turn to the Newer Testament is that you understand exactly what love's got to do with it. Go with me to Luke 15. This parable has often been referred to as the parable of the prodigal son. That is a tremendous mistake. That comes to us from bad tradition. There is no story about a prodigal son. That's your story. That's my story. There's nothing unique about a prodigal son. A prodigal son is a son that's gone astray. Which son hasn't gone astray? The son that stayed home was astray. The son that went away was astray. Everybody's astray. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. There is no parable about a prodigal son. The parable is about the nature of the father. It should be called the parable of the good father because while it is not unique that there are prodigals in the world, it is totally unique that there is somebody that lives up to the Ab Ahab, the somebody who is a father that demonstrates love because they're so full of the Spirit. So Jesus teaches a parable not to show what human beings are like. You can look around you and see that. You don't need a parable for that. He teaches you a parable so that you know what the Father is like. He wants you to have a revelation of the Father's love. 
Because once you get a revelation of the Father's love, you can't help but respond. And if you don't respond, it's because you don't have the revelation. When you know how He loves you, you have to respond. That's exemplified starting in the 17th verse. When He came to His senses, now if you're not as familiar with this story as some, a young man has taken his inheritance... He's treated his father with total disrespect and he's gone off to spend his inheritance on whores and bad living. He's found himself sunken low enough to be eating with pigs. It's a great argument broke out. Some said he wasn't asleep with the pigs. Others said he was. He didn't know which way to take that. You're not thinking about that, are you? When he came to his senses, I hope tonight you're ready to come to your senses. When he came to his senses, man, how long has God been waiting for us to come to our senses? When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? See, when he came to his senses, it was not a revelation of the judgment of God that was falling on him. When he came to his senses, it was not the wrath of God Almighty that was being poured out on him. In fact, he was living in kind of a hellish situation already. When he came to his senses, what is the first thing that he got a revelation of? He remembered the goodness of his father. See, hell is all around us, but heaven is found in the nature of our father. I'm not saying that you don't need to know that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. Clearly, the Scripture teaches it. I'm saying that all you need to do is look around you and you see that, but you can only look one place and find a revelation of the Father. And that's back towards His house. Do you need to turn your eyes towards the Father's house tonight? Have you been accepting an existence that is lower than what you should have? Have you begun... To view your life as drudgery, as it become mundane and have a lack of significance? Are you living like a dumpster diver when you were supposed to live like a prince? How many of my father's hired men, not sons, hired men, have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. The revelation of God's goodness is best contrasted with the condition of man's evil. In God's house, there is provision to spare. He lacks all provision of any kind. And why? Because of his own evil behavior. When you get a revelation of how good God is, one of the first things that happens is you realize how bad you are. If you haven't ever had that revelation, then you don't yet know how good God is or your true condition. You're still sleeping with the pigs and living with something that a demoniac wouldn't live with. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. What does the road back look like for you? Well, you can't just show up and act like nothing happened. 
You can't just hope that the conversation doesn't get around to it or it never comes up. One of the primary failings that is a lack of love in a human being is when you cannot admit your own fault. When you want to be justified in your own eyes bad enough that you cannot even admit your true condition. You know what that is rooted in? Fear that God does not love in this life and the next. Perfect love drives out that fear. He already knows your condition. He wants to know that you know your condition. Because when you know your condition, He can change it and transform it with His love. But until you do, you take His love totally for granted. I have sinned against heaven and against you. I have broken the laws of your kingdom and I have defied your character. This is the only way that you get in fellowship with the Father. is that you recognize that you are wrong and that He is right. The road back starts with you. You have to get up. And before you even turn to walk that way, something has to be realized in you. He has loved me, but I have not loved him. Let that settle in on you for a minute, saints. Because all too many of you piously say, I've loved him all of my life, and you are a damned liar. not even possible that you loved him your whole life. But we say things exactly like that to absolve ourselves of guilt and we don't realize that we're spitting in the face of our Creator. You were an enemy of God and He loved you. And when you realize that you're an enemy of God and He loves you, that love compels you to love Him. You have not only not loved Him all of your life, you were at war with Him for most of your life. You violated His law and violated His character and taught others to do the same. Come to grips with your true condition and you might be embraced by His full love. Listen to what He says in verse 19. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. He so misunderstands his father that he thinks he's going to go back and work for a wage. This is how so many have tried to come to the Lord. I will do right for you, Lord, and you will reward me. True love is based on sacrifice with no hope of anything in return. If you are only loving the Lord so that he can give you something, then you don't love him at all. You're trying to bring the world's principles into the kingdom and it will not work that way. You cannot taint his house. How sits that with your soul tonight? Do you have a bargain? I love you, Lord, as long as nothing bad happens to my family. You know, in a war, people get injured. That's not the act of a loving God. It's the act of an enemy. Do you love him only as long as your life is proceeding down the path that you think that you agreed to? You find out human love is so fickle. The very thing that bites you, you're willing to turn and bite God with. You love Him only as long as He does what you want Him to do. This makes Him more your genie than your God, doesn't it? 
This makes him more your servant than you, his servant, doesn't it? See, tonight we need to come to grips with the idea that he loved us before we knew there was a because. He loves us now, and he will love us in the age to come, but that kind of love demands a response from you. So he got up and went to his father. Sometimes, saints, you have to get up. You can't just sit in your problem and say, if the Lord wants me rescued, he'll rescue me. No, the revelation of the Father has already been given to mankind. The good news is already here. It's recorded in four Gospels and 66 books. And His servants are everywhere preaching it. And it's reached as far as your ear. Maybe, maybe He doesn't have to reach down from the heavens and change your situation. Maybe what needs to happen is you get up and leave your situation. Lord, I want you to fix the entire mess that I made. Perhaps the first way that you fix it is by walking in a new direction. So he got up and he went to his father. I suspect that he got up in more ways than one. I suspect that he stood to his feet on the outside. But a long time before he got to his feet, something stood on the inside. He was tired of living in the hellish nightmare. Of the loveless world. But while he was still a long way off. Does this sound like Buddha? Does this sound like somebody who practiced and practiced and reached nirvana? No, he's still a long ways off. Can I tell you? Nobody in this room is nearly as close to God as they think they are. And the proof is they think they are. A long ways off. But his love reaches such a long way. Somebody said, ain't no mountain high enough. Ain't no valley low enough. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. What does that mean about the father? It means what John 4 says. He's seeking those who will worship Him in spirit and truth. He is looking for something. He already had His eye on the horizon because love expects the best in someone. He's not willing that any should perish. He desires that all be saved, so He is looking for your return. His eyes on the horizon. Hoping that you will respond to His love. But while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him and was filled. Somebody say filled. Filled. Your charismatics, how many of you want to be filled? Did you know that God is filled? He's filled to all the highest heavens with something. He's filled with compassion for his children. Before we read the next part, let me tell you that you could define this word compassion. As feeling deeply, one commentary or dictionary said viscerally, yearning, compassion and pity that is felt literally in your internal organs. What does that mean? That means the heart of God is grieved when man sins. Did we read that in Genesis 6? Do you know that? He cries out when he gives us instruction, oh, that man's. Heart would be inclined towards me. See, God is filled to the brim with love for you. 
Do you think that that makes you less responsible or more responsible to respond? Do you think that that love is an excuse to treat him laxly or an indictment if you do? Notice the father's response. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. We serve a God who crosses heaven and earth to display his chesed to you. In what way have you responded? Well, pastor, this time I prayed a prayer. Well, isn't that cute? We serve a God who runs, throws his arms around, and kisses but you nodded your head in a few key places while someone else prayed. He loves you enough. Maybe he was impressed. I certainly have a hard time being impressed with that being the fullest expression of love that anyone has shown. How must you respond to a God who has loved you like this? God had compassion on the hellish conditions that this young man's life was experiencing. But it was those hellish conditions that drove him to remember the Lord. By the fear of the Lord, a man avoids evil. And yet, clearly, in this story, it was the love of the Father that drew the return, not the hellish conditions. It was the love of the Father that atoned for the young man's sin. It was the deep, visceral yearning of the Father to have compassion on a child that drew the child to repentance. Now we go back to the place where we first started. The very first mention of Ahab in the entire Bible was the story of Abram and Isaac. A father who loved his son... A father who was asked to sacrifice his son, but a father who ultimately had to make no sacrifice. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. For Christ's love. Christ what? Christ what? Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. Do you hear what is being expressed in the love of Christ? You did not have to sacrifice to earn the love of God. God demonstrated His love to you while you were still a sinner by sacrificing His Son for you. He's not asking that you stand up and cut your throat for Him as some of the Eastern gods would do. He's not asking that you would throw your baby into the very gates of hell as many of the Roman gods did. He's not asking that you would degrade yourself in some way as many of the other gods do. He's asking that you respond 
to the love that he has shown you before you even cared to notice him. He died for us as an act of love. What we must do is live for him as an act of love. Will you stand to your feet?